I'm not a trophy hunter at all. And Dirk, you know, I'll, I'll tell him, I just, I'll just i shoot a five-point whatever. And he's like, yeah, but you've shot a big bull. And so I, I've hunted Arizona. I did shoot a big bull. Um, I love to hunt big bulls, but I have a really itchy trigger finger. And I'm a, you know, I've got a trophy mentality with a meat freezer finger. So it's, uh, for me, if I can call in two or three 300-inch bulls in a day, I will take that all day long every day in September and never question the quality of that hunt. Welcome to the RNA Outdoors Podcast, propelled by Ripcord Aero Rests. At RNA, we are a public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we speak with experts in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. I don't know. We try to sing together Harmonize. once in a while. And, yeah. <laughs> All in harmony. However you guys want to do it, we can give it a try. We can record it a few times. So. Me, 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 me. <laughs> hey, I have to read this. Don't cover my reading up. Hey, guys, this is Corey. I'm Donnie. And this is Dirk. And we're with Elk 101, and you're listening to the RNA Outdoors, Outdoors Podcast. Podcast. All right, day two here at the Western Hunting Expo in Salt Lake City. Uh, it's been a good show so far. Most of us showed up yesterday. The, the show kicked off uh, on Thursday, and uh, fortunately we were able to get in here uh, with some pretty good weather uh, and uh, check out the expo. Um, pretty good show lined up today. Uh, pretty excited uh, on day two. We've got a, a list of folks that uh, we're going to sit down with and talk about hunting, talk about the outdoors, you know, talk about DIY, public land uh, type matters are really what the basis around uh, what we're trying to send in a message. So before we get there, I want to um, throw our, our uh, podcast out to our title sponsor, which is Ripcord Arrowrest. Uh, they are the number one bow hunters follow away rest on the market. They're a bunch of guys based out of Dillon, Montana, uh, good friends of mine. Uh, they're a brand that bow hunters trust. Ripcord is best known for their 100% full arrow containment and their drop-dead brake system, which eliminates launcher bounce back. So if you have any questions or are interested uh, in looking at a new arrow rest, uh, talk to the boys and Dillon at Ripcord. You can find them online uh, at www.ripcordarrowrest.com and through any of their social media outlets. So today, uh, very special uh, meeting this morning. In podcast, we're going to sit down uh, with not only the Elk Whisperer from Elk 101, uh, but his entourage and gang uh, that he's brought with him. And from what I understand, this is the first time that we'll have the trio together on a podcast. So I feel pretty fortunate uh, to be sitting down uh, with Corey, uh, Dirk, and Donnie this morning and really talking elk. I mean, that's that's really the subject matter expert uh, that we're going to talk with. You know, when it comes to elk, uh, Corey's a nine-time world elk calling champion. Um, for most of you that don't know what Elk 101 is, by the end of this podcast, you will know. And then also the University of Elk Hunting, which he put together uh, last year, uh, which is a, essentially an A to Z um, um, system for elk hunting uh, in the Western United States. So we're going to look forward to that. And most importantly, he's a father of three. He's a husband and uh, the boys here. So Dirk, do you have a family? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah, I have two uh, kids. Uh, well, they're 
pretty much adults now. Okay. <laughs> They've moved out from home. They're they're on their own. Uh, have a daughter who's 21. Okay. Son who's 19. And uh, they're both in college, so very cool. So I'm an empty nester, my wife and I. So so that just means more hunting, I think. If, if absolutely, if that's the case. Yes. They, they say you know uh, kids that cost a lot of money, but you don't you don't know the cost of of kids until they leave home, right? Exactly. <laughs> that's a good point. And Donnie, I am married and I have three kids. Okay. Twenty two, twenty, and eighteen. Wow. So good for you guys. Cool. So um, with that, I'm going to welcome, you know, Donnie, Dirk, and Corey to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Thanks for being here, guys. No, yeah. Thanks for having Thank us. You. We're excited. Absolutely. Pleasure. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to kind of uh, break the ice a little bit. And I've got a series of questions that I'm going to ask the group, and they are specific to, to elk hunting. And really what we do is we try to get to know a little bit about the guests, uh, but also as we kind of go through these, um, you know, we can talk about some of the questions, we can talk about some of the answers. And again, our what we want to do is try to push, uh, you know, positive vibes in the elk hunting industry and, and share this positive message out to the masses. So what I'll do is I'll go through the series of questions and we'll kind of bounce through them. You guys can answer them. I think it'll be interesting to see any contrast <laughs> and how someone might answer a question considering you guys all have very similar elk hunting styles. So, okay, so we'll go ahead and kick it off. So the first question I'll ask, would, would you guys prefer to archery hunt or rifle hunt? What's Are a rifle? <laughs> I think it's a thing that exactly. goes bang. Okay. So I think I know the answer to yeah. that. Yeah, archery. Yeah, definitely. Would you rather bugle or cow call? Bugle. Yep. Yeah, I'm all about the bugle. Corey, yep. obviously, uh, yeah, bugle. Huh? Yep. I mean, cow calls play their part, but. Sure. Yeah, at the at end, the of, the end day, of the day, the, the bugle's the, that's the key. Yeah. Open reed or diaphragm pallet plate? Pallet plate diaphragm for me. Yes. Same here. Same here. Yep. Okay. In terms of your hunting styles, are you more of a be patient style, wait for them to come to you, or are you more of an aggressive, get into their habitat and get after them? Out chasing them. <laughs> As I say, is there one level up from aggressive? Yeah. Highly aggressive? Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. not sure. We'll, okay. we'll take that one. Yeah, yeah. Same. same here. Okay. If, if you had a, a, a preference of a shot, quartering away shot or straight on, what would you take? How far away? <laughs> 30 <laughs> that's, yards. That's an easy Ooh. question to ask, but a hard one to I answer. I know it's 20 yards what the answer is, but at 30 yards, yeah. if it's quartering away yeah. or straight on. You know, I'm not a fan of quartering away shots. So, yeah. you know, I wouldn't take a, a front-on shot at 30 either. So I would say wait for him to turn broadside at that yeah, point. Okay. Yeah, I'm all about the broadside shot. Fair enough. In terms of the rut activity, do you guys per, uh, prefer a pre-rut, heavy rut, or a post-rut activity? Kind of depends on where I'm hunting. Um, some of the areas where I hunt, uh, early September, there's not a lot of bugle action, you know, uh, towards the end of September. Uh, there's a low elk, elk densities, so the rut doesn't really get real intense until the, the tail end of September, and then you're not worried about having too many cows around and, and, and chasing bulls with cows. They're, just, they're, they're, they're pretty receptive, but mm -hmm. you just have to wait to that last period. That being said, we've hunted a lot of other places together where um, the early September is great before the bulls are all, all herded up. Um, they and they seem to be easier to call in, you know? Yeah. yeah I, you know, I, 
I agree with Dirk. It really depends on the area. If we're going to Arizona or New Mexico or something, I want to be there during the peak rut. Mm-hmm. Uh, hunting the mountain states, you know, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, Oregon, places like that. I love that transition week uh, between pre-rut and peak rut where the bulls are really just starting to establish their harems. Yeah. Uh, they're fighting and aggressive. So, you know, that mid-September, early to mid-September is great. Okay. They're a little more inclined to interact and engage with you during that early season. During that time, yeah. Rarely do I hear post-rut. It seems like the post-rut is, I mean, unless you get that last cycle of those cows, it it seems like that never seems to be the the optimum time. But Especially for calling. Especially for calling, yeah, yeah, because at least the bulls have, have changed a little bit. Okay, do you guys prefer a fixed blade or expandable blade broadhead? I guess it depends on what state you're in, but... Yeah, any state for me is fixed. Okay. And for me also, I never even shot an expandable. Yeah, same here. See, in Idaho, you guys can't shoot expandables, right? right? So you're pretty much tuned to to fixed blades. Yeah, don't want to have to swap swap arrows, you know. Exactly. And just with a big animal like an elk, I I know expandables have come a long way, and, you know, they've expanded in in quality and and all that. But uh, for me, there's just, as an engineer, eliminate any of the possibilities of something going wrong and with fixed blade i think you get that yeah no there are variables with expandables and you're right i mean they're not 100 percent foolproof you know with a fixed blade it's gonna you know it's gonna contact you know 99.9 percent of the time yeah okay in terms of a moon would you guys rather hunt on a full moon or no moon no moon no moon at all (laughs) no moon you know a perfect world we want the no moon at all but when we have a full moon, we can capitalize on it. Sure. You, know, you just have to change your tactics a yeah. little bit. So. There's some good potential seasons this year looking like based it's on the moon cycles. Everything. The 2017 is on a calendar basis the best year that I've seen for elk hunting. Just where the fall equinox lands, where the, the no moon during September, the peak of the rut, everything's falling together for that yeah. you know, 14th to 22nd of September time frame. Yeah, which is you know, in most states, the, the best time to be out, you know, chasing bulls with, a, with an archery equipment. So for you guys, would you guys rather have one shot at a 350 plus bull, whatever that number is, or have multiple counters with a smaller 280 to 300 inch bull? <laughs> so, you guys are laughing because yeah, yeah. you clearly have probably... This might be where we vary a little. Well, yeah. I like a target rich environment. So lots of bulls, lots of bugling, call in a lot of them. And then with the opportunity of, you know what, there is a big bull here. I'd like to see him, you know, I'd like to call him in and maybe have the opportunity to, to take him. That's called but wanting your cake and eating it too. I know, and I that's <laughs> why I look the way I do, right? <laughs> you guys just obviously jab each other all the time, I'm sure. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. You can't get all away with good nothing. Fun. <laughs> so it's probably a little both for you then, yeah. Dirk. I yeah. mean, you, yeah. you like to have the encounters, yeah. but if yeah. there's a big bull in that herd, you'd, right. you'd want to see that Absolutely. bull. Absolutely, yep. yeah. How about you, Corey? You know... I'm not a trophy hunter at all, and Dirk, you know, I'll, I'll tell him, I just, I'll shoot a five-point whatever, and he's like, yeah, but you've shot a big bull, and so I, I've hunted Arizona, I did shoot a big bull, um, I love to hunt big bulls, but I have a really itchy trigger finger, and I'm, a, you know, I've got a trophy mentality with a meat freezer finger, so sure. it's, uh, for me, if I can call in two or three 300-inch bulls in a day, I will take that all day long, every day in September, and never yeah. question the quality of that hunt. Yeah. For me, any bull with archery equipment's a, a trophy. So if it comes in at, and it's a branch antler, 
or <laughs> or a spike. Or a spike. <laughs> I'm I'm more likely going to be drawing blood. Yeah. yeah, and that's cool. I mean, the cool thing about you know trophy hunting to everyone, it's different, right? Yep. Someone's trophy could be you know a raghorn five point to someone else's you know expansive elk, and I think that's what's cool about everyone's varying you know answer to that is is everyone is different everyone's you know definition of success and trophy hunting is different i think that's what makes it neat and i think it's changed for me you know the first time i went to arizona we uh i had in my mind i'm only shooting a 350 inch bull you know there was a score attached to what i was going to shoot and i ended up shooting a bull that i thought was 350 inches and he fell far short of it had really short eye guards and everything and it completely ruined that hunt for me. I was deflated. I felt like I had failed. Um, driving home, I just felt like I, I squandered the only opportunity I'll have to, to ever kill a big bull. And just all that pressure with the score and everything, it just really ruined that hunt. Fortunately, I drew the a tag again in Arizona three years later and went back with a completely different attitude that I don't care what it scores. If I see a bull that makes me excited to hunt him mm-hmm. and I shoot him, I'm not even worried about the score. Yeah. And... We had an incredible hunt. There was no pressure. We just had fun. Uh, turns out I shot a really big bull, but it, it completely changed my perspective on trophy hunting. Yeah. Just go and hunt, and if a bull cranks your, you know, turns yeah. your crank, chase that bull and shoot it and be happy. Don't exactly. worry about what it scores. Yeah, I think that's what makes it fun. Some of the changes up a little bit, too, is there's three of us, and we're out 10 to 9 to 10 days, if we're lucky. If we're lucky, and that only gives us each three days behind the bow. Sure. So it's... Yeah, beggars can't be choosers, right? If, yeah. I, if I pass capitalize. one up, it's, that was my day. So And that might be the only opportunity you have to draw your yeah, bow. Right. That's, yeah. you know, it, Sometimes you just get one shot. Yeah, you it's know. different for somebody that draws a tag by themselves and has two weeks to go and focus. You can, you, you, know, you can be picky. You can be specific. Uh, most of our hunts are seven to eight days, so at max we're getting three days behind the bow. Correct. And three days behind the bow for an elk hunt is the odds. We want to kill some. We want to fill our tags. We want to fill the yeah. freezer. And yeah. so for us, it's more more about the success, not a, not about the trophy. Correct. Good. So for you guys, would you guys prefer back straps or tenderloins on the barbecue? <laughs> on the barbecue? <laughs> or on the rock? I don't tip. Or on the rock? Yeah. Let's say we're out out in the out in the sticks. Yeah. Right there, right after, after you find your elk, build a fire. If you know fire in danger, considered of course, but yeah, uh, build a little fire. Put a find a nice flat rock. Build a fire on top of it. Let the fire kind of burn down. Kind of sweep it, sweep your ashes and and coals off that rock. Uh, cut a big old slab of, of fat off that elk. Put it on the rock. Let it sizzle for a while. Then you get the tenderloins. Okay. Cut them up and put them on that rock. Now, wow. if you plan that ahead, sounds good. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> <laughs> If you plan ahead, you have a little, maybe a little baggie of Montreal steak, uh, seasoning, salt and pepper, something, and uh, sprinkle on there. And I, I've eaten elk for a lot of years, and that is my very favorite way to have it. It's it's unbelievable. It's no comparison to after you put it in the freezer, taking it home, and let it sit or whatever. It's Amazing. I think there's something to be said about whatever animal it is on the mountain after you've been eating trail mix, if you do mountain <laughs> yes. house or if you bring your own dehydrated meal, something about eating that animal that you harvested, you know exactly where it came from on the mountain. There's there's something it doesn't to be get said more about organic that. than that. Yeah. Correct. And that's we stumbled on it a few well, it's been a handful of years now. It was cold. It was what, sixteen, seventeen degrees yeah. that morning, shot an elk. We built a fire out of necessity. There's snow on the ground and we're sitting there looking at this 
you know, 800 pound elk laying there, a big old bundle of elk meat. And we got a fire going. It's like, hey, let's try this. That looks really good. <laughs> and now it's a tradition. And last yeah. year, you know, we're hunting and Donnie gets his elk on the ground and we're over there getting our knives and stuff out. And Dirk pulls out a baggie and he's like, look what I got, Montreal steak sauce. And we ate well on the mountain that yeah, day. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. <laughs> Tenderloin for you, Donnie? Tenderloin, yes. Yeah. Okay. And talk about a connection to your primal self. I mean... <laughs> You have to yeah. think, you know, early man doing the same thing, taking an animal, and then, hey, we're eating right now. It's as real as it gets, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it's our forefathers that that's how they live. They, yep. you know, they hunted and gathered, and that's where we all came from, yep. right? We're yep. establishing some of that. So kind of back on the on the cooking, would you guys prefer elk meat on the barbecue, oven-baked, or fried if you had to pick one of the three? Barbecue. It's hard to beat a grilled steak. Yeah, yeah. man, I'm frying it. <laughs> Cast iron frying skillet. And there you go. Frying butter or uh, olive oil. Okay. Man, it's. They say everything's yeah. better with either butter or bacon. Yeah. So. Yeah. And if you put both of them together, <laughs> them, yeah, yeah. Then it's even. Yeah, it's no better than that. When you guys are again, we we talked a little bit about um, you know some of the quality of bowls that you guys are into, but if you had the option, okay, and you had your option at multiple elk, you're hunting a premier unit in Arizona's example. Are you attuned more to a typical frame bowl, or are you attuned more to, like, a non-typical, trashy, drop-tine type bowl? Oh, what gets you going? <laughs> I, I, it, it can go either way for me. I, I like big, thick, massive. I want it all. But, you know, I'm not going to pass up the first big, beautiful bowl that comes in. It's awesome. I mean, I'm not going to say, So if you yeah, had a menu wait. in front of you, Dirk, if you had a menu in front of you, what would be on the, what would you order? I, I can't pick. I cannot Is pick. Is that cake and eating it too yeah, thing? I, I, I don't care. Either one's great to me. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're both awesome. Corey, is there For, a preference? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big typical guy. I'd love, you know, I love big tops, big fourths and fifths and whale tails. And so you show me a big, big typical six pointer. I've never shot a seven by seven, a typical seven by seven. So that's, I would love to shoot one with big top end. And I'd like the big palmated bowls where it, they got the big webbing and stuff but a nice typical is extremely attractive yeah <laughs> it's funny walking around this expo i mean you see some of these elk and uh one they're just amazing animals but some of the trash some of them can can add on it just it's amazing um how these animals you know a lot of it's the stress they're under how they eat but 99 percent of it's genetics it and, is, yeah. and you see a lot of these bulls that are just genetically freaks and the mule deer are a whole other different conversation. Yeah. But, yeah. They're um, genetically inferior anyway. They in my are. Opinion. They're genetically <laughs> modified, and some of them, I think. We were talking to Zach Griffith yesterday, and and uh, he said, have you ever seen a stag bull, you know, an elk with velvet antlers that just never sheds its antlers? Because mule deer, there's several of them. I said, yeah. you know, I never have, and I, I think it's because elk are genetically superior that they've just bred, bred out that genetic that gene, deficiency. Yeah. We don't see that anymore. <laughs> mule deer, you know, they're kind still... Kind of a just, biased opinion. Yeah, Corey. you know. <laughs> but I did tell him if mule deer bugled, I would be hunting them every yeah. year, too. So Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last question for you guys. Um, we can just kind of go around the table here. How many bulls have you killed in your career, Dirk? You know, can I? Uh, I'll no. I, I, <laughs> maybe I, does Corey need to answer for you, and then you answer for Corey? I think we're, I think I, we're all on the same. Yeah, that's, was, that's one of those questions that uh, you know I don't I don't I don't really like to tell people. It's 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 not a competition or sure. a comparison. So sure. 
numbers of how many people uh, or how, how many elk have killed. To me, um, it's not. I don't really need to quantify that. So sure. To because I don't want somebody trying to compare themselves. You yeah. Know? No. It's you know? honesty is a hundred percent of what we do. Yeah. So. And that's you know we've just we've never talked about numbers. We don't talk about score. It's uh, you know, anytime you start quantifying hunting, it opens up the door for jealousy and ego and comparison and sure. you know there's always going to be somebody better we all recognize that we're not the best elk hunters we, we aren't trying to be the best elk hunters we yeah. just want to be successful and have fun and i think that in our industry there's just so much talk about shot distance about score about how many elk and you aren't a real elk hunter if you haven't killed this many elk and it just it takes the real purpose out of why we do it yeah and so the we, problem is is they're now animals are getting a number attached to them, right? Yeah. And I, yes. I think a sheep is an example. You know, there's there's so many limited sheep in the world, and there's so many people that want tags. But, you know, you go to these auctions, and you see the value of these animals, and that's what they are now. They're an, they're an animal with a value. They're yeah, not something right. that we all, you know, look to attain. And it's kind of sad that it's it's gone that direction. But um, I agree. That I, yep. I appreciate your guys' honesty in that because... Uh, I, I think that's important, right? It's probably not important how many you've killed. It's more importantly, how many more are we going to kill in the totally, future? Right? How many are we going to kill this year? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All I know is I have a head full of memories that <laughs> is worth anything over any kind of bull that would ever be shot. Sure. So. Yeah. 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 Okay, so let's go ahead and dig into just some of the, the outline that we had put together. And, and I guess I'll kind of leave an open-ended question out there. Um, I know, Corey, you come from a background, you know, your father and in, in, in manufacturing game calls and, you know, always probably being exposed to that as a child. But, you know, for you guys in general, I mean, you know, what shaped you guys into being elk hunters? What shaped you guys into wanting to be in the outdoors versus, um, you know, hey, I like rock climbing or, you know, all the other hobbies out there that we could do. But what was was there a pivotal point or something that, you know, really told you guys, hey, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. I was brainwashed by my parents. <laughs> In short. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really was. It was a lifestyle growing up. I didn't know any different. We lived in elk country. Um, I came home from sixth grade and grabbed my bow and went out the back door elk hunting. And so it's, it was a, it's a way of life. It still is. And you know, that's how we've raised our children that, for them, it's a way of life. You know, they love it. They embrace it. They're passionate about it. And I think being able to educate them to instill in them, uh, you know, ethics and conservation and all of the keys that are so vital for it to be sustainable. Um, I think it's it's fun to see that being passed on from generation to generation. So for me, it's just it's a it's a family tradition. It's a way of life. Yeah, genetics. Yeah, <laughs> bred into you. Yeah. <laughs> for me, uh, I was raised in a hunting family. Um, all I listened to from the time I could understand speech was uh, my dad and my uncles uh, talk about their old hunting adventures uh, back in the old days and so uh, as I grew up and I, and I lived in a pretty small town where most people hunted but but every now and then you'd find a kid at school or something that didn't hunt and you're like wait you don't hunt you're weird what why you know so it didn't really compute to me because I just thought that's how what life sure. was is you went hunting you you had an outdoors lifestyle so so real similar to Corey's upbringing, you know. Um, are you guys all born and raised Idaho natives? Dirk and I are. I'm from Nevada. Okay. And that's You're where, close. where it came from for me. So I grew up in Ely, Nevada, and we couldn't hunt elk when I was growing up. And when I 
was done with school and moved up to Idaho, I could just go over the counter and buy a tag and go hunt elk. That's what I did, and nothing been like it. It's yeah. Totally different than trying to chase mule deer around. Sure. It, it is a difference when you think about it. You know, we all probably antelope hunt and deer hunted as kids, but that one moment when you're in the woods in September and you hear that shrill shriek of an elk bugle, it just, <laughs> there's nothing like it, right? I mean, there's nothing out there that compares to that, at least in my opinion. Yeah, yep. I agreed. Okay, um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, Elk 101, and, and um, I guess maybe we can start with a little bit of a grassroots discussion. You know, obviously you guys have a huge passion in, in elk hunting, but, you know, I guess what was the point or what, you know, made you take it to the next level where Elk 101 is today? <laughs> or did always, you expect it to even get to know, where it is now? It's all, I'd love to to uh, say I had a great grand plan and a scheme to build a profitable business and everything, but it didn't. It, uh, Cabela's called me and, and asked me to do a seminar class on elk calling. And they want it to be like a six-hour class. So, you know, two nights, not just a regular 45-minute seminar. And I said, man, I'd be excited to, but... You know, what are your thoughts on compensation or, you know, are you thinking sure. paying for this? Because that's a pretty good investment of time. And they said, you can charge whatever you want for the class, but you can't charge in the store. You have to either set up a table outside and collect it or just set up a one-page website with a PayPal button on it. And so I thought, well, I'm teaching a class on elk hunting. I'll call the website Elk 101 and we'll put a PayPal pay here button on it. And we signed up 75 people and went and did the class. Well, leading up to it, people started asking questions. What time does it start? What are you going to cover? Are you going to talk about this? And, you know, did you get an elk this year? And so I put a picture up, and pretty soon people are commenting. And, uh, you know, 2016, we had over 7 million visitors on, on Elk 101. So it didn't start with the intention. We added wow. you know, online store, the forums, the, you know, just last year, the University of Elk Hunting online course. And so it's just, it, it continues to progress. Everything about it, though, is uh, leaning towards educating people on becoming more successful, more confident, more knowledgeable in elk hunting. On the University of Elk Hunting, so I, you know, I joined that last year, and you know, I've I've been elk hunting for a lot of years, but there's always certain things, you know, when you go through the whole module, it's like, wow, I didn't know that, you know, elk did this, or you know, some of the different modules about elk behaviors, things that, you know, maybe some of us haven't experienced, and. You know, going through that process, I mean, what was the timeline to putting something like that project together? I mean, obviously that isn't a over-the-night thing that happens, but yeah. walk through that process of putting that, that university together. You know, it really, it started in childhood. And it the, the University of Elk Hunting is uh, a comprehensive, every topic that I can possibly imagine. I brainstormed for weeks of everything I could think of. Every, you know, I'd go through in my mind every story, every hunt I've been on, just thinking wind, thinking raking, thinking wallows, thinking every single aspect from planning and scouting and conditioning and gear and tactics and all of that. And when I got done, I had about seven pages of topics uh, that went into that. But it really, it comes from, you know, 30, 35 years of elk hunting, all of that experience put down there. It's not a um, my goal wasn't to make it salesy, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm trying to sell you some top secret thing. It was just sharing everything that I know uh, about elk hunting with the, the goal at the end to make others successful elk hunters. Because yeah. I'm passionate about it. I love elk hunting. I love to be successful. I think, you know, Donnie's a great example. When I met Donnie, he'd been elk hunting for 17 years. Yes. And had never killed an elk with his bow. 
And he was almost zombie-like. Just, you know, he went out expecting that he wasn't going to kill an elk at that point. He wanted to. And I was standing two feet behind him when he drew back and shot a six-point bull at 18 yards, and it ran down the hill and crashed. And the excitement that came from that, there is nothing in the world as rewarding as seeing somebody else be successful. Yeah. And to be able to share something that we sometimes take for granted. That, you know, we grew up in it. it. It's second nature for us. And for somebody who's never done it before, it's so intimidating and overwhelming. And I recognize that when I saw a list of, you know, seven pages of topics. Sure. It's like that's a lifetime of learning there. If I can shorten that curve and help somebody else gain success or confidence in themselves to be able to go out and apply it and earn that success, um, there's still, it's hard work. They've got to do it on their own. But yeah. that was the motivation for it. Um, as far as the timeline, it it was long. It was grueling to sit at a computer and type out. Uh, it's 120,000 words. Yeah. That's two novels. It's, you know, 70 video components. It's hundreds of images. So yeah. it was a, it was an undertaking. What's neat about it is when I go to your website, I see, you know, some of the testimonials and the stuff that folks are writing about, you know, hey, I applied the skills, I applied, you know, this module of the of the Elk Hunting University. That's got to be a feeling of satisfaction for you knowing that, you know, you take Donnie out and he shoots his, his first bull and you're there to experience that. But you're with all these other people as they do this as well. Yeah. Right? That's got to be just a spiritual experience that's, that is unremarkable. Well, I just think we all love to, to share a hunting story and to be able to tie myself into someone's hunt in a way that they want to come back and tell me about it it's yeah i mean it's super rewarding and exciting i had a guy come up yesterday just over here and it's like man i had the best season ever last year i, I attribute it all to your university of elk hunting and i said hold on no i appreciate the compliment you still went out and did all the work so you take some credit here it's yeah this is a. I'm, I'm simply sharing what works for me and it's not going to work for everybody not everybody's going to be 100 percent successful by applying everything but yeah, I think there are things that we can all learn. I, I learn every time I'm in the elk woods. Yep, absolutely. So Extreme Elk Magazine, I think in 11, you guys, did you guys partner on that project? And yeah. then that basically turned into, did they get bought out? Or how, what happened with Extreme Elk Magazine? So we had this vision. So Corey started Elk 101, and I said, Corey, we need to make the best elk cutting magazine on the earth. Mm-hmm. So growing up as a kid, um, I'm sure Corey did this too. I thumbed through all the, every outdoor live field and stream, uh, Bugle magazine, everything, and uh, read the, every article um, front to back. But I was always left wanting more, you know. You, you would see a thing that said seven ways to kill your big bull. And they would kind of beat around the bush and kind of <laughs> toss out a couple of ideas of how, you know, or maybe what the guide told them or something. And, and I thought, man, that sounds great, but I don't know that that's going to help me kill an elk. So uh, with the Elk 101 platform, it's, it was all about sharing, you know, uh, sharing our, our hunts, uh, the forums, people asking questions. And, and we got involved talking back and forth with, with people and brainstorming ideas of, of hunting techniques and stuff. And how rewarding was that? I thought, you know, we, we, we should go with a magazine um, and uh, put it out there. So I started... And uh, I still blame Dirk to this day for that idea. <laughs> I, so I started twisting Corey's arm a bit. And uh, so we did a lot of research. And we're like, yeah, we, we should do that. And we did. You know, I remember we met uh, in central Idaho in elk country. Dirk lives in northern Idaho. I'm down in Boise. And so we said, hey, we need to meet up in person and do this. And, and we did. We kind of came up with an outline and some ideas. And 
you know, I called up the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. I'm good friends with the guys there and said, here's our, our plan. We don't want to compete. We want to complement. And they were 100% on board. They're like, yes, that's a great idea. Our mission is conservation. Our magazine is about conservation. If you're doing, you know, sharing what your, your concept is here, it's going to be a perfect complement. And they've been, I mean, they were super supportive of the idea. They supported the magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our goal with the magazine was to take quantitative things out of, out of elk hunting, out of the stories. Focus on the adventure. We called it Extreme Elk Magazine because when something's extreme, it's out of the ordinary. And every elk hunt has something out of the ordinary and, and an element of that. And so that was really the focus is we don't care about the score. I mean, we had five-point bowls in the first issue that came out and we got more comments from people that are like finally it's not all just horn porn we want to see the real hunt we want to you know we're regular guys we want to feel like we're reading a story about regular guys and i think that really related um something we knew from the beginning was print media is old (laughs) and there's a whole new uh wave of digital media consumption out there and and I think hunters will always like to have something tangible. They want, you know, having a magazine in their hand is great. But after several years of, of the magazine, um, and we were fortunate. We had Elk 101 to launch it on, so we had a platform. It was profitable from day one. Um, but we saw that digital was the, was the way. And so we had an opportunity to sell Extreme Elk Magazine to Elk Hunter Magazine and uh, be able to do what we want to do digitally with Elk 101 and still be involved with a magazine. Mm-hmm. So are you guys specifically now all digital then based on the Elk 101 website? You guys don't do the magazine anymore, correct? Correct. correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. Let's get into a little bit more tactical around um, hunting and let's talk about your guys' hunting packs. So um, we'll kind of go around uh, the table here and, and talk to you guys. So if there was one thing in your pack that if you went out in the field and you said, this is the one thing I have to have, I can't go home without this, okay, what would that one thing be? In my pack, meat bags. Meat bags. What type? Do you have a specific type um, you like? Or? We've used a lot of them over the years. Uh, the ones I'm using right now are the caribou okay. game bags. Been great. Yeah. You know, and won't leave home without them because we plan for success. And I, I want to make sure I don't have to leave the animal on the ground, walk back yeah. to the truck. I just I want to make sure I could process him get the meat cooling and then go from there care for meat is so important and you know it's crazy in some states i mean it's illegal to right to to waste meat and to not take the you know the x amount of meat required by that animal but it always amazes me when people don't understand you know how important that process is get the hide off get Mm -hmm. the quarters out right get it cooled if you need to get it off the bone but um to me, that's the most important part because what do you enjoy for the next six to eight months? It's exactly. the meat and the hard effort that you exactly. put into it. Uh, and then, of course, the memories last forever. But, yeah, I think meat bags are, are essential, one and, of the definitely essential things. And success isn't complete until that elk's back at the cooler and, you yes. know, the meat is, is successfully made it back home. And Correct. So many people go out, you know, and they spend eight or ten years hunting elk and they finally get one and they've not prepared for success and they get there and get that elk on the ground and they end up losing half of the meat because it spoils because it takes them so long to get the hide off and get the meat processed yeah. and so that in itself is a is an education and a, a process there of learning what to do when you're successful yep and you know you hear so many folks say oh wild meat it's just gamey i don't <laughs> like it 
but but maybe they had some that somebody didn't take care of good enough you know they didn't they didn't get that hide off right away and cool it right away and i never want that to be what I, i'm feeding my family and friends Correct. i always wanted to be delicious and be like this is wild meat yeah this is amazing <laughs> or you don't tell them what it is and they eat it and they're right. like wow this is amazing yeah it's just meat right yeah. you don't ever have to tell them if it's prepared right <laughs> yeah Oh, they ask when they eat elk meat that's prepared the right way. They yeah. ask what they it want is, to know what that is. Because wow. <laughs> I got to get me some of that. Yeah. How about you, Corey? What's something in your pack that's just? I live uh, and die by the bugle, so my my elk calls are number one. And you know, I, there's you what? hold on now. <laughs> oh, Dirk just I thought he was going to hit me. <laughs> you don't carry your calls in your pack. Well, I carry them in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the same thing. Come on now. Uh, you know, I, I think as far as equipment, elk calls are at the top of the list because somebody in our group is going to have a, a weapon. Um, Dirk's going to have game bags. If I have a bugle tube, I know we can get into elk. And I, I mean, I'm like a three-point basketball or a basketball team that lives and dies by the three-pointer. Mm-hmm. When they're on, they're on. And when they're off, they struggle. And I think for elk hunting, I'm, I'm much slower to adapt and uh, adopt a new tactic because I love calling elk. And so I don't don't ever want to head into the elk woods without my calls. Uh, if you need something specific inside my pack, uh, probably the knife. Okay. So. so we got game bags. We got calls. Donnie, what do you bring to the table? The least expensive item that you can buy. That <laughs> back to the story on one of the major reasons why I did not kill a bull for 17 years. Oh is, wait! I thought you were going to. I thought you were going to say toilet paper. Well, <laughs> wet wipes. Well, I can't fit Corey in my pack, so I can't say Corey. But a wind detector, because okay. that was I had hunted all those years, not paying attention to the wind, and then going out with Corey, and every fifty, sixty yards, he's checking the wind in the same area that I had hunted all those years I go up with him and wait I should have been hunting it from here instead of here and just that least expensive item if you don't have it there's kind of no sense in even walking around trying to chase them because they're no they know where you're going to be yeah well and I'll never forget we uh Donnie and I worked together and met at work and instantly talked about hunting. He had pictures of animals hanging up in his cubicle. Um, I think they were all other people's animals. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, my hunting area was on fire that year, my elk hunting area. And so I was just telling Donnie one day at lunch, I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. The area I usually hunt is on fire. I've already bought my tag. And I've never hunted anywhere else in that unit. And he's like, well, I hunt this area. He's like, I always get into elk up there. I can never kill them, but there's always lots of elk in there. And so we went up the first morning, I killed an elk in there and came back and told him, he's like, you've got to be kidding me. He's like, so I said, let's go up there. So we went up there the next weekend or something, got up on the ridge and let out a bugle and a bull answers down in the draw below us. And he starts walking down the hill towards, I'm like, hold on, hold on, come back. Pull out the wind detector, the wind's going right down the hill there. So we've got to circle around this ridge. We need what, three quarters of a mile, a mile down in the draw behind us, up to the top of the basin and coming around on it when the wind was right. And, uh, you know, it's took two hours to get on a bull that was three or four hundred yards away and came in with the wind good and uh called the bull in and donnie's like i never even thought about that what the thermals are doing in the morning you know 17 years of elk hunting in the same area into elk all the time and uh 
a couple days later he shot his first elk so yeah. yeah wind is wind is critical i had gone in there every year drive up get out of the truck walk up the bottom of the basin up to the top and then walk the ridge out i go up with Corey. we get out we walk up the ridge <laughs> totally backwards from what how you I know what they call that, Donnie? It. They call that insanity, right? Doing when you the do same something thing. over yeah. and over. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. you'll get results out of doing the same thing. Yeah. But, it, you know, wind's got to be the most critical element and variable out there. I mean, you can have all the best stuff in the world, but if you're not playing the wind right, and, and it's even in your modules showing, you know, how different elk, based on what basin they go into, how the thermals change in the morning and the afternoon, um, wind is so critical and every I mean every we can have the best stuff in the world but if you don't have the wind right in your in your favor it doesn't matter yep. right nothing nothing you do is going to overcome that yeah and that was honestly in the University of Elk Hunting on the online course that was my favorite I was more excited about putting that section together than any other and we spent you know I told the video production guys this is the one I, I want to focus on I need motion graphics we have to illustrate this so people can visualize elk use the wind to stay alive every minute if you are not paying attention to it and using it to your advantage you are not going to overcome an elk senses you're yeah. not going to just get i mean yes you might get lucky once in a while but on a consistent basis there is nothing more important than the wind yeah no i absolutely agree to that so based on your guys's 16 season um I just put a couple notes down here. I know a couple hunts that you guys had done together and you guys had, had done a hunt with Randy Newberg in New Mexico, but maybe let's just do a quick recap and go through um, your guys' 2016 season highlights. Maybe we could just start from where we started and where you guys ended and just kind of talk through some of the uh, experiences you guys had last year in 16. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, it's always intimidating to have a camera crew. And we don't, I mean, we like to film our own hunts for, you know, putting together something for a film tour, just for personal use, um, not into the TV scene or, you know, anything like that. But for us, it's fun. So with three of us, we've got a shooter, a caller, and a camera guy, and we just rotate every day. We've all, you know, we all do something different each day. That's our primary focus. And this last year, we worked on a, a really big film project, and it included multiple camera guys. Um, camera equipment that they used on Jurassic Park and Star Wars. So, I mean, high-quality film stuff, which adds another element of pressure to elk hunting, which, you know, we're not about trophy hunting or anything. We yeah. try to eliminate pressure, but it ends up there when you've got camera guys and all of that. And to add to that, the area we were wanting to hunt, we weren't able to hunt. So I think it was July we ended up, completely new area we'd never been there before had never heard anything about it just picked a new area and went there and we went over and scouted it in i think early august we didn't see an elk we didn't see an elk track we didn't see old rubs and we started thinking this is going to be an epic fail we're going to have camera guys there we're going to a new area we've never been to we don't even know if there's elk there all that you know it was, there was a lot of nerves i think for me at least driving over there and uh I'll never forget, and I mean, you always remember that first bugle you hear every year, but we got out of the truck, walked out out, uh, out through the meadow, and let out a single cow call, and immediately a bull answered up on the ridge, and all of those doubts and fears and everything were gone. It's like, okay, there are elk here, we can hunt elk, game on. it's game on, yeah. and uh, we had an incredible hunt. And so was just, that in Idaho then? 
It was a undisclosed location. Yeah. <laughs> Secret. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we hunt public land over the counter, and you start, you know, it. it's really easy to say, we hunt Idaho, and then somebody says, well, I saw their truck, I saw their sticker in the back window, you know, whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. And pretty soon somebody knows the exact range of hunting. It's a small world. It is. When it, it comes really to that. Is. Yeah. So. How about uh, recap your hunt in New Mexico? I listened to uh, one of Randy's um, self podcasts he did while he was sitting <laughs> back at camp. He said he had his 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 little health condition had caught up to him, but he was sitting there talking about, well, Corey's somewhere out there right now chasing elk, and it's ten o'clock, and they're not back to camp, and I'm getting a little worried about him, but. Maybe just talk a little bit about that experience I, you guys had. I listened had. to that podcast, too. He told me when we got <laughs> back to camp late that night, he said, I started a podcast earlier, and I just kept it going. I was just hoping you guys would show up during the middle of the podcast, and, and you didn't. And I thought, you sat in the enclosed trailer in elk country and just talked to yourself? Is that? I mean, that's. I have a hard enough time talking to other people, let alone talking to myself. So um, Randy Newberg is... Uh, one of my favorite people in the world, just a, an absolute ambassador for conservation, for uh, the sport of hunting, for uh, taking the trophy hunting out of it and just doing it for the right reasons. And I've known Randy several years and every year we're like, hey, what are you doing this fall? I'm doing this and this. And Randy goes on 13 or 14 hunts a year for his TV show. Yeah. And he's always got a full schedule. And a couple years in, we're like, man, we should really hunt together sometime. It'd be a real, you know, it'd be a blast. And a couple of years ago, he said, hey, I've got an opportunity here. If you're free the last week of September, let's hunt Montana. Just pick up a tag, an over-the-counter tag, and come over and we'll go hunt. And we did, and we didn't kill elk. And he killed a lot of grouse on that hunt, but we just had such a fun time hunting together. He's just, you know, just a week with somebody in elk country, you learn a lot about him. Sure. And it just solidified uh, the respect and the admiration I have for Randy Newberg. Yeah. And so after that hunt... Uh, in the middle of that hunt, before we were even, you know, we didn't end up being successful. And before the hunt was even over, we're like, what are we doing next year? We got to do another one. And so Randy being the, you know, he really analyzes where to apply uh, because he has to. He has to have mm -hmm. a schedule. And so we drew a New Mexico tag with 4% draw odds. Wow. And uh, both drew tags and went down there. And it was a horrible hunt. I mean, it just really people everywhere no access to be able to get away from the people uh the rut was off the full moon i mean just i sound like a whiner here but it was really everything that you could imagine being bad about an elk hunt was on that hunt and we hiked i, I don't remember at this point you know the numbers have left but i think uh we ended up doing 78 or 87 miles in eight days on foot chasing elk and i think we only called in three or four elk the entire time wow you know in the gila second season archery it should yeah. have been prime yeah uh, it was just it was a tough hunt and it's, you know i called my wife well actually she called we were on the mountain and i'm not a you know i'm not on the cell phone a lot out hunting but i was just sitting there all of a sudden my phone buzzed and i looked my wife's calling so i you know walk away from the camera guys and randy and go around the hill so they don't hear me sniffling and and uh, she's like, how's it going? I'm like, it's terrible. It sucks. I just want to come home. I don't even want to be elk hunting here. It's that bad. Yeah. And she's like, you know what? Maybe it's good to have these bad hunts once in a while. Make you appreciate the good hunts you always have. And, sure. it, you know, she said that. And I th it just completely changed my attitude about the hunt. It's like, sure. just go and make something happen. Just enjoy the journey instead of focusing so much on, on the end result. Yeah. And, uh, you know, hunted elk for 30 years now. And, you know what? 40 some years old you still have to be reminded the reason we're doing it and it's, yeah. it changed my season it was good uh, ended up shooting an elk spot and stocking because calling wasn't working 
So we went out in the prairie lands and spot and stalked an elk and shot it the last night of the last day and got back to the truck at two in the morning with it and it turned out. It's amazing the perspective sometimes, you know, our spouses or even our friends give us that, you know, we're out there and we have a target or we have a goal that, you know, I want to, I just want to shoot an elk, right? And you're day 10 and you've got 12 days to hunt. And to me, it's always amazing in a matter of five minutes, how you could have 10 days of terrible hunting, weather sucks. And in five minutes, right, you're just into it and everything just changes immediately. Yeah. It just takes one encounter, one opportunity. And and if you are hoping to have that encounter every minute of every day, uh, it, it takes away from the the challenge of it, which yeah. the challenge is what brings the reward. And exactly. the harder it is, the, the greater the victory. And so it was, yeah, that was a good one. You know, I had a hunt in Oregon a couple of years ago. And again, this is, the, I think, the only other time I've ever texted my wife from the mountain. And uh, I was sitting there last afternoon. We'd hunted hard. And draw hunt took me 10 points to draw. And it was just a tough hunt. Just a lot of pressure. And the elk were done rutting. And... I texted her and said, well, uh, we might have to buy half a beef this year. I'm coming home with my tag not notched. And uh, she replied and said, pretty tough, huh? And I said, yeah, I just, I don't know what else to do. I'm just, I think I'm going to walk back to camp and pack up and head home tonight. And uh, she replied and said, that's a good attitude quitter. And I, it was just like, kind of hit you right in the chest. So I got up and 45 minutes later shot a six point bull. And had I quit right then and left, it wouldn't have happened. And it was, you know, it just you can't give up yeah and that's so one of my short stories we were in montana and i a buddy of mine i've taken he's never so the year prior he's never shot a bow he's never been elk hunting we take him in the montana wilderness and he shoots a five point the first year and that's what he knows perfect setup call in we're 100 yards back bull comes into 50 yards broadside and he hammers it right so he thinks this is elk hunting so last year we take him out and uh same scenario we were into elk and uh he emptied his quiver in one day (laughs) and then the following day he did the same thing and same same response he actually if i wasn't going to cut his bowstring he was going to do it himself (laughs) and he was just completely down on himself and uh half an hour later he's got a five point down on the ground and uh, so that experience for me you know he's been elk hunting two years now He's two for two, you know, and, 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 but for him, he's never had that experience, right? He's never had that experience of defeat one, cause he's so new at it, but two, um, you know, he's, he's been successful. So, um, it is, it's humbling at the same time. Um, it turns around so fast that when you've had those experiences, even when you are in the gutter, um, there is hope, right? And we all have, we yeah. have those experiences and those stories. So absolutely that's cool and then one of the last ones i read about uh, the hunt that you had with your son and um it was pretty touching to me and and some of the information about that but um maybe just share some of that story i guess what that meant for you (laughs) as being obviously these multiple generations of elk hunters but being able to take your son out and and harvest that bull that he got yeah and that's you know you talk about somebody that's a new hunter and they haven't experienced the hardships and the challenges and all that um Isaac is just, you know, I've got three children and they all love hunting, but Isaac, he was our first, our oldest. When he was born, I was into, you know, I was sitting in front of the TV watching every Primos DVD I could get my hands on. I just, I was at that point in my life, I was working as an engineer. I was working eight to five. I was coming home, had free time. Um, I was always tinkering on bows and shooting bows. And so he was really introduced into that. And from a young age, just absolutely latched onto the hunting lifestyle. I mean, he just, he breathes it and I think there's there's a there's a part inside of us that just gets it. 
and sometimes that comes naturally. Sometimes it takes a long time to build, mm-hmm. um, and he's just he's always got it. Every he's just got a, a killer instinct, and his first year when they changed the law in Idaho that you could start hunting big game at age 10, he was 11 and he wasn't quite able. I told him he had to pull 45 pounds on his bow. The The law says 40, but I told him I want 45. He was at 42 pounds and couldn't archery hunt. And so I said, we'll figure this rifle hunting thing out. I'm not a rifle hunter, but we'll just go. And I guess you wander around and you see an elk and you shoot it and mm-hmm. can't be that hard. So we went out, we hunted one morning, had to be back and then went out the next day, he skipped school, and we had an elk on the ground by 8.30 that morning with a rifle. And the elk literally was still sliding down the hill after he shot it, and he turned to me and said, that was really fun, but next time I want to shoot one with a bow. And I thought, okay, this is, you know, he doesn't understand how hard this is going to be. It's, sure. you know, I shot one with a rifle first time, you know, yeah. it's, it's easy. Well, the next year we went out, we only had uh, one evening and one morning to hunt with a bow, incredible time he was at full draw six times on six different six point bowls uh in a 24-hour period well not six different bowls full draw six times on six point bowls uh three different bowls and just the poise he had i told him he couldn't shoot over 30 yards he ranged a tree the bull came in he's at full draw the bull standing broadside in front of him and he lets the bull go it stood there for 30 seconds and turned and walked off and i went down i'm like why didn't you shoot and he said it was 35 yards and I said, buddy, it's not 20 yards. And he realized he had ranged the tree and then moved down the hill 15 yards. The bull was at 18 yards broadside. Great big six-point bull, and he didn't shoot. So we went rifle hunting, backcountry rifle hunt, and he shot a really nice six-point and earned it. I mean, packing it out, it was a it was mm-hmm. a tough pack. So this year, it was all about archery. He's like, I'm not even going to hunt. If I hunt in the rifle season, it will be with a bow. I'm shooting an elk with my bow. He's hunted two and a half days up to this point in his life and killed two elk he's spoiled he sure. doesn't know what's coming yeah and so i tried warning him like buddy we only have two days to hunt this year um there's going to be a film crew with us he had a football game on wednesday night we had thursday and friday to hunt the season's over it's late in the season i haven't even scouted this area or been in it for years just don't get your hopes up we might be hunting you know rifle season oh no two days is plenty of time to kill an elk with a bow dad so we go out first morning nothing bugling we hear a bull on the other side of the canyon donnie's with us and uh, we climb up the other side of the canyon, grueling hike, get up there, and the bull just didn't want to play. He just wasn't responsive. And so we're sitting there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I leaned over to Isaac, and I said, buddy, this is your hunt, but I just don't feel good about this area. We haven't heard any other bugles. This bull is not fired up. We have to find a bull that's fired up. If you want to kill an elk in the next 24 hours, we have to find the bull, the one bull that is fired up. And I said, we can go to the area you hunted last year with a rifle. I know there will be elk in there. I don't know what kind of response we're going to get. Or we can stay here. It's up to you. And he sat there for a minute. He said, let's go. So we boogied off the mountain, went, took camp down. It's a three-hour drive to the area that we had to go to. We're starting to get close to the area, and it's getting dark. We have, like, maybe 30 minutes of daylight left. And I said, we aren't even going to make it to that area. We need to find an elk if we're going to hunt tonight. So we pull off at a pullout, walk down the ridge, let out a bugle, actually a cow call bull answers across the canyon and it's like it's too far it's getting dark there's no way we're going to make it there and kind of stand there and cow call again he fires right back cow call again he fires right back i mean like fired up donnie comes over he's got the onyx map app on his phone it's like there's a meadow right there that's got to be where they're going so i looked at isaac and i said you ready to run and he's like he was back at the truck with his bow in hand before i even got done finishing the sentence i think we 
screamed down the mountain, went to that meadow, not even knowing where the bull was going or what was going on, couldn't hear him the whole time, got there and let out a cow call, and he answered 200 yards away. So I said, go set up by that tree on the edge of the meadow. I'm going back to call. And before I could even start moving, the cows were filtering out into the meadow. He got down there and set up just in time. I looked down, he's ranging clumps of grass out in the meadow and different things. And uh, all of a sudden, I see the bull trotting across the meadow. And, you know, you t- when a friend's out there, when Dirk or Donnie are out in front, I get pretty fired up. I'm like, man, this is so awesome. It's going to happen. I know they're going to do it. They know what they're doing. With a 13-year-old that's never killed an elk with a bow. Yeah, you're... It's like, <laughs> dude, don't move. Don't do don't, don't do that. No, don't... You know, I'm just you're really... the father, yeah. Yeah. But it, I can't explain the excitement when that bull's out there, and I realize that he's there with his bow. There's an elk in front of him, and there's actually a chance this could happen. Sure. And uh, so I'm doing everything. The bull's going, and it's going to end up going in front of him and circling around and winding him. So I run up the hill another 20 yards to get an angle, and I scream at the bull, which to this point I haven't bugled at him. And he hears that, and he turns 90 degrees and starts walking right towards me. And he's circling around down below them, comes behind a tree, and uh, all of a sudden I hear cows take off running and everything. I thought, did he shoot? I don't know what he did. So I cow call, and I look, and the bull stops out there. And I think that I hear the bow go off. I'm, you know, 60, 70 yards behind him, but I didn't know for sure, and they all take off running. And I'm thinking, that had to be a long shot, that, you know, all these things are going through my mind. I'm like, ah, it's over. This was our one chance. And, you know, I don't know if I blew it. I don't know if he shot. I don't know what happened. So I pull up my binoculars, and the bull's standing out in the meadow, and I'm looking, and the first thing I see is his antlers. He's got a great big six point on one side, and then something goofy on the other, this big single beam coming up, kind of goofy. I'm really focused on that, and as I'm focused on it, I notice something out of place, and there's blood behind his shoulder. He's bleeding behind his shoulder. And so I'm like, that little <laughs> he shot All by himself and he killed he killed an elk and he doesn't even know it you know he's, sure. I can see him so I go down there you know hustling down there and, and walk up to him and I'm like what happened and he said I don't know dad I, I, I think I might have missed him I think I shot over him I might have hit a cow even there was a cow behind him and and so I you know he's kind of down on himself a little bit just not sure and I said buddy there's blood behind his shoulder. And as soon as I said that, he just like lost all control and, you know, excited. Sure. And, but at the same time, like, we got to, you know, give him time. I don't want to bump him. Let's just let him, let him go. The elk went 120 yards and piled up right there on the edge of the meadow. And uh, to see him walk up on it and track it and uh, walk up on his first elk with a bow is pretty special. Yeah, I bet. That's pretty cool. I mean, to, to not only think, like I say, all the generations, but now you're creating you know another monster right at he 11 is. years old he's killed now three elk in two four days rifle. of hunting in four <laughs> days of hunting it's amazing you know it's crazy though with kids and the youth tags they can draw though now i mean some of the kids are drawing these tags that you know we may never draw in our lifetime yeah. right which i think is cool that they have that ability to do that but um you know some of them you know do get spoiled a little bit based on you know some of the animals that they take at such a young age but i think it's neat that you were able to share that story yeah. with him and, and, and his, you share know, that opportunity. 100% over-the-counter, public land. Yeah. I mean, just doing it the, the hard way. The way you guys do it. But just to see his poise on video, because it's all on film. Um, he ranged stuff. The bull came out, stopped it on a, on a spot he had ranged. Uh, his form when he shot, nothing moved. He anchored in and executed an absolute perfect shot. The arrow, you can see it just dropped. I mean, it was textbook that's cool and at 13 years old it you know makes a dad pretty proud to yeah absolutely see that 
So kind of looking into 17, it's, you know, it's application season. Um, you know, you guys are specifically DIY, um, you know, public land hunters. Do you, do you guys have any plans for any states or any locations this year? Anything that you guys want to disclose that you guys have planned this fall? We apply in a lot of states. So <clears throat> we got Arizona, Wyoming, Beep. Montana. Beep. I know. <laughs> we can edit that Nevada. out, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We we apply in all the sure. all the the great uh, hunting opportunities uh, for elk, and we'll just see where the cards land. Sure, you, you just never know. Yeah, and sometimes it's a long shot, and it pays off. And sometimes it's like, okay, now we really got to dig deep and find somewhere that we didn't draw a tag and. Which those find opportunities, a you know, yeah. between Idaho, Montana, Colorado. I mean, you get opportunities if. You know, I didn't draw a tag in Nevada or Utah, which are tough states to draw anyway, right? Yeah. You, we've always got some opportunities. They can be a little spendy, but still, you're in elk country, and you have yeah. the ability to go over the counter. There's so many over-the-counter opportunities that, you know, you hear a lot of people uh, that maybe live in a state where you can't hardly really draw a tag, and they're like, I'm going to wait for 20 years and, and finally get that golden ticket and go elk hunting. But, you know, shoot, they could be hunting elk every year up until that point, you know, maybe, you know, going over the counter and in Idaho, Montana, wherever, um, you may not have an opportunity to 400-inch bull, but you're chasing elk. You're Absolutely. Learning, and you're making mistakes, and you're learning from those mistakes, and you're honing your skills. And when you draw that golden ticket, you know what to do with it. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's nothing like hearing somebody say, I waited 20 years and finally drew an Arizona, you know, Unit 9 archery tag and hunted all 14 days and didn't call in an elk and didn't have a shot opportunity and... You know, I'll never elk hunt again. Mm-hmm. It's so sad because they could have been, you know, going to Colorado or, um, yeah. you, I mean, yes, it's expensive, but at the end of the day, you can do it on a on a really tight budget. We've yeah. done elk hunts out of state for less than a thousand dollars. It's possible. It is, you know, yeah. and and that includes travel and everything. So it's just, it's possible to do. Um, part of the University of Elk Hunting is the planning. You know, one of the one of the modules is on planning, and you know, I just share the opportunities that are out there, uh, how you can do it on a, on a tight budget and still be successful and be able to scout those areas remotely without even going there. Um, but yeah, like Dirk said, we apply everywhere. And if we do draw, that's great. If we don't draw, we're still going to be hunting elk. Yeah. So you've got a plan B, you know, if the, if the plan A awesome tag comes through in Arizona or wherever you've got that ability, but you've always got a plan B. So absolutely. Same way. I can't imagine not being able to hunt elk every year. <laughs> I don't care if it's the worst unit in the world. I mean, yeah. I'm still going elk hunting. Yeah. What's even amazing is you look at some of the eastern states now, and, you know, they've been putting elk in Virginia, Pennsylvania, Kentucky. I mean, those are long shot draws as well, but I apply in all those states sure. with the thought that, man, I might, you know, get dumb lucky and draw, you know, an elk tag over there, which would be cool. Somebody you know, has to get lucky. Somebody, it's just like, here, right, you've got 22 sheep hunts given away. Somebody <laughs> has to win one of them. And talk about... Uh, freaking on typical antlers those those bulls back east yeah you, know, you see a yeah. ton of that back there i don't know if it's because of their nutritional you know what they're what they're eating and stuff and they can just grow whatever they want it's yeah. so it's tightly crazy. managed yeah. you know they just, are. The, just the control on so few of tags being given out but that creates a pretty quality yeah. opportunity yeah it does so before we kind of close i wanted to go through just a couple scenarios with you guys and and you know some of these are, if you guys had a chance to look at them but um I think it's interesting when you talk about, you know, tactics and you hunt with a group, you hunt with a camera crew, you hunt by yourself. 
um, you know, and for you guys, you guys have a system that works, right? One guy's behind the bow, one guy's calling, one guy's video, and if, you know, if it's the three of you, but, um, you know, some of the stuff around scenarios and tactics, I think it's interesting because we all come from different backgrounds. Um, we all have had different experiences elk hunting. Um, you know, and sometimes a little conflict in the elk woods happens, right? Where, no, I'm going to go this way. Well, I want to do this. So, you know, and you come to compromise. But um, first scenario I want to talk to you guys about, and, and part of this was in your elk hunting 101 module, but it was around, it's 1 p.m. It's a calm mid-September day. Do you take a nap or do you hunt? at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. <laughs> well, that's easy. <laughs> I have this thing that I, I have a, maybe a phrase I coined a few years ago, and everybody looks at me funny because I, uh, I call it midday madness, but you have to say it like you're a game show announcer, like <laughs> midday madness. <laughs> what I've found is so you, you spend all morning chasing elk, right? And a lot of times folks think, ah, they don't like my bugles or whatever. But that bull's following the cows. They've already made up in their mind where they're going for the day. They go down here to eat. They travel up the hill. They go to their beds. They get tucked in, and that's where they spend the day. And then come evening, they come out of there and go back to eat, right? So instead of, you know, giving up at 10 o'clock, I'm like, eh, they've outdistances distanced us. Um, let's figure out where they're going. Okay, they're, gonna, they're bedding down on that ridge there. Okay, well, let's get the, the wind right kind of get a little bit tactical here uh, get the wind right find the best position and then middle of the day after we've hiked several vertical thousand feet to get to them um, we challenge that bull we, we give him a little bait we give him a little cow call well he's his cows are all bedded down they're not going anywhere but he's he's anxious he's been rubbing his horns maybe there's a wallow and he hears a cow that's out of the herd he's like hey wait a minute so he'll, he'll bugle out of you. Well, that's when you cut him off with the meanest, most insulting bugle you can muster to say, I'm coming to your bedroom. I'm stealing your cows. And to me, well, I, and I think Corey can agree with this. To me, that's the best way to kill a herd bull is because he knows his cows are going nowhere. It's, it's fight time. He's going to f- defend them. He's coming to kill you. So be ready. So, and it just so happens at 12 to 1 o'clock is it's magic time for whatever reason. I think they've had enough time to just lay there and get anxious. And, mm-hmm. and if you're there it, and do it, 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 it works like magic. Yeah. Yeah, I know that we take naps, but it's on the mountain. And it's usually waiting for that magical hour to, to happen. Mm-hmm. We'll follow them up there. And, you know, there's so many things that can be simplified when you look at it. Elk are doing what they're doing for a reason. They're moving up the mountain in the morning because they have the wind in their favor. And they're getting to their bedding area when the wind switches because then they have the you know safety in their favor. All of that, they do everything for a purpose and a reason. And if we can understand that, it makes it really easy to plan our attack to be able to get in there. And bedding areas are just an absolute, like Dirk said, I don't think there's a more efficient method to get a herd bull riled up and get him storming in in one bugle than hunting them in their bedding area midday. They're yeah. just, the cows aren't going anywhere. They don't have to follow them. They're territorial, all of these things. It's just, it's the perfect storm. Yeah. Can you guys tell the difference in a bull that's that's bedded bugling versus a bull that's on the move bugling? Is there a sure. distinct sound to you that, that's different? Sure, sure. You know, when they're laying on the ground, you know, they don't have the, the full capacity of 
you know, if you're standing, just like us, if we're laying in bed and want to yell, you yeah. know, you can't yell nearly as well as if you're standing there. So there's, you know, it's a little more subdued bugle usually if they're in their bed. But when <laughs> when, when you rile up. him up and <laughs> yeah. insulted him, challenge he, him a little he, bit, it changes. Yeah, he, yeah, his tone changes. You can hear, you can feel the air come out of them when they stand up. I mean, even if they don't bugle, when they when you cow call and they give you a little half-hearted bugle from the bed and you stomp on them with that challenge, you can feel the woods change. You can feel the just intensity rise the in that area. The king has spoken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't like getting woke up from a nap. No. And he sounds like you woke him up from a nap and he's very upset about yeah, it. Yeah, especially when you're telling him you're coming in to steal his girlfriend. Exactly. And, but what's key, you have to be close. You can't stand 300 yards on the other ridge and, and, and do this. you got to get close to their bedding area, you know, 100 yards or, or, or so, you know, without stepping on them. You don't want to spook them, but you have to be a threat. You have to put sure. some pressure on them. Yeah, and I think to your point, when you challenge them like that, they realize, hey, there's someone else, you know, in my back room that wasn't here two hours ago, yeah. right? And it gets them charged up. So keeping on the scenarios, you got a bull hung up at 100 yards. It won't move. Um, what do you guys do to close the distance? Rake. Raking's big. Okay. Yeah. Let's say I've raked. Let's say I've bugled. And he just, he, he wants to see something. But he, you can't, he can't see me. If the, if the, the foliage and stuff is right, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge him hard. So what that means is, is I'm going to, run half the distance I'm going to run 50 yards if I can and then scream a big mean challenge bugle at that point and a lot of times he's like oh who is this guy and then maybe he'll come out maybe he'll just come right in it, you, it, it'll change the game or he might just say oh heck with this I'm out of here but you know, at that, that point happened. you've tried everything you've tried so. everything and I think you know Dirk Dirk's one that kind of keyed me into that we were hunting together several years ago and you know he's like let's just try this and you know he bugles and takes off running up there crash and brush not being quiet at all and just screams in the bull's face and the bull comes in and stops he can see right where he called from so the bull just gets to where he can see from and you know we don't have a shot or anything and it's like that will work but he saw you know if you're hunting yeah. by yourself it can be tough so we do what we call the slingshot now where it's basically the same concept the shooter's out in front the collar's back behind we've got to put a little bit more pressure on the bull so the, call, the shooter that's out in front basically screams a bugle in the bull's face. You're 60 yards, you're 80 yards, whatever that is. You're putting a lot of pressure on him. That's usually enough to break that bull loose, and he comes in to check you out. Then the collar back behind takes back over and draws him through that lane so he's not focused on the spot where the bugle just came from. He's committed at that point. He's coming in, and then the collar behind just pulls him through the lane, and we've had a lot of luck using that on bulls Good that hang success. up. Yeah, yeah. I've had that, that scenario many times, and I guess you get into that quandary, you know, is it the cow call, is it the bugle? And you almost have to develop a system that this is what I'm going to do every time, and if it works seven times out of ten, I think that's a success, yep. right? And if it works two times out of ten, then I need to figure out something else. So, And then you call an audible if it doesn't work, and you yeah. figure out a couple other things that might work. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, the elk will tell you what he's liking, you know, if if he just comes unglued every time you blow a cow call, don't bugle. That works. Don't bugle. Don't bugle. He, right? he likes it. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep doing it. Or if he's bugling like crazy, why sit there and bugle at him? You may scare him away if you've located him. Slip right? in as close Slip as you can. can. Yeah. yeah, And yeah. then work him that way. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, last scenario, and you guys um, obviously deal with this a lot, hunting in Idaho, but, you know, hunting in areas with heavy predation, 
you know, whether it's wolves, whether it's, you know, mountain lions, whatever, whatever that is, um, how does that change your approach? Does it, does it change your strategy? Um, if you're going to be hunting in Northern Idaho, maybe where you live clearly, you know, in, in the salmon area and the Selway area, there's a ton of wolves up there, Mm -hmm. right? Does that change your approach and your tactics or is it, this is what we do, this is how we do it. And that's what we're going to stick to. It, It changed the tactics quite a while ago. Um, you know, back when we first started elk hunting, you can you could kind of bank on a traditional elk camp. We're going to go set up elk camp here. We're going to have a beautiful camp, and we're going to hunt around camp, and things are good. Uh, but since the day and age of wolves coming in, um, you can be there day one, and you'd be in the middle of a lot of elk, and day two, ro- wolves ro- roll in, and you don't hear another elk make a peep. Either a spaceship came and got them, or, well, I don't know. But the reality of it is, uh, the wolves will, will make them clam up. They'll make they'll displace them. A lot of times they'll blow out of there and go to another complete different drainage. So what we've had to do is adapt. So what do you do? Well, instead of hunting this little core area, we're branching out. We're staying mobile. That might mean we have maybe a base camp to come back and regroup and eat a hot meal. Mm-hmm. But we also have our, our backpacks with our stuff in the back of the truck in case we need to hike out a trail and camp right there because we hear an elk bugle or or relocate 30 miles away or relocate 30 miles away i mean we've drawn drive driven up to 50 miles away from our initial base camp just trying to find elk that will bugle but that but we did we found elk that bugled (laughs) and then we had some success so and had we stayed in that same area you know where predators were active we wouldn't have had success yeah yeah people just get in a rut because you know i know there's elk here or there's been elk here i'm just gonna keep going every day to the same spot and it's going to happen yeah um i can't do that anymore i i branch out and it, it works you have to change I, this last fall um we we slipped into a place i've hunted since my dad took me elk hunting as a kid in montana and uh this year there was a grizzly bear spotted in this in this specific location and uh, we dropped in there and in two days um the place that we would camp at usually there was a there was a high camp where there was usually four or five trucks where people had camps we would st- stop there then we would spike in there was nobody in the area in the parking lot so we're like oh that's odd so we get in there and we spend two days in there um, two nights and three days hunting not one bugle not one anything we run into one guy on the way out and he says um, I got video footage of a grizzly bear on my GoPro I didn't have an encounter but he came you know about 200 yards past me through this meadow and uh, he goes, I haven't heard an elk bugle in here. And I've been in here for, he was from, I think, Kentucky or Kansas. He'd been in there two weeks, hadn't heard an elk bugle in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Now, was that just coincidence that the bear was just moving through? Or was he in there for a reason? And uh, clearly it, it shut the whole place down. We didn't go back and we, we had plan B, right? But yeah. plan A was this has been our honey hole for years, right? And, and uh, it totally changed the game. And I think a lot of it is due to predators. Right. Totally, you know, we, you know, and it's it's odd because they different areas are affected differently by different predators. And I've shot an elk literally laying in his bed bugling at wolves that were howling. They would howl and he would bugle at them. And I slipped in and shot him in his bed. Um, but then I've seen elk fighting and rutting, and a wolf starts howling, and they start feeding next to each other and just completely go out of the rut. Um, where we hunted in Montana with, with Randy Newberg a couple of years ago. There were grizzlies everywhere, and it was tough. The elk were so wary. They would come in just on mm-hmm. pins and needles. Just I mean, you couldn't, you didn't find a dumb elk. 
But then, you know where we were hunting last year? We had five grizzlies on one hillside one afternoon, and there were elk bugling up the hill from the grizzlies. You know, so, I mean, they just, yeah. each area is different, and they're affected differently, but there's no doubt that they... Yeah, it's changed their changed behavior, the yeah. right? And I think we've seen it since the inception of wolves that elk's behavior has changed, right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of it is the pins and needles. They're not as receptive as they used to be. And, and not as vocal. And not as vocal. And yeah. I think that that kind of makes it a little more rewarding and challenging at the same time, <laughs> right? To be able to slip into those areas that have predators and still be the ultimate predator at that point, yeah. right? But, but I think, you know, e- even if you're hunting an area that doesn't have predators, rarely does it happen on plan A. You know, your plan A doesn't always work yeah. out. It seems like n- it never does. So have multiple plans to sure. back up multiple areas that you're familiar with on maps and then that way if you get there and there's 50 people hunting it's like yeah those guys can hunt we'll go to the next spot sure um you just don't want to ruin the hunt over yeah. not having your your plans well made so. yeah and some of that's just ethics i mean if somebody else is in there you know i mean sure do you go the same area i mean you, you never want to go in there and ruin someone else's hunt mm-hmm. but yeah. a lot of it is just the ethics of hunting and some people have it some people don't yeah. but golden rule you know and there you know going to the new mexico hunt last year there were i don't know how many people had tags in there but there were a lot and you can't camp on state land in new mexico so four units converge in this one area there's a chunk of blm land there were 70 or 80 camps in there so every morning it's a line of atvs going up the mountain only two roads to access the unit and every hunter's going in on that so we're pulling off Somebody's pulling in 100 yards behind us and somebody 100 yards in front of us. There was no way to get away from people. And so, I mean, there's just some situations where we hunt in the backcountry. It's a lot easier to apply those ethics and say, hey, you're here. We're going to just go to the next drainage. You get in a place where it's like, we can't go anywhere else. We just have to bump into people all day. And so it does. It it makes it frustrating. So any last closing comments, funny stories you guys want to share, anything that you guys want to divulge? Donnie, you've been kind of quiet. Donnie's you're kind of the silent guy. killer. He's like, rake. We're going to rake. <laughs> so I know there's some yeah. some knowledge in there, but I don't know if there's anything you guys want to share in closing. Anything you guys are working on in 17 that you're willing to share or anything that you guys are doing? You know, for Elk 101, we're, uh, we're continually developing uh, exciting stuff that's centered around elk hunting, and 17 will be no doubt uh, a part of that. We've got some really cool things coming uh, definitely sign up for our email list, follow us on social media and everything and keep, keep on top of that. Um, for me, I think it's, you know, my, my goal and my mission and my purpose with Elk 101 is to help other people acquire the knowledge that they need to be confident, which will lead to their success as an elk hunter. And so many people lack that confidence, don't know where to find it, and think that, you know, failure is just part of who they're going to be as an elk hunter. And I absolutely uh, try to encourage them and inspire them that you can be successful. I don't care how much experience you have. I don't care where you live. I don't care if you're clumsy. I don't care anything. You can be successful. And it just, it starts with a plan and acquiring knowledge and working hard. And, you know, that's kind of the the model of life. Sure. And the more knowledge you have, the more hard work you put in, the more success you're going to get out of it. Absolutely. Dirk, anything? Yeah, keep a good attitude, you know. Um, I know as well as anybody about how you can struggle through the whole week of your hunt and think, man, this is not going to happen. But you have to have that, that, that mindset, the best is yet to come. 
this is going to happen all the way up to the very last minute of the very last shooting light on last day um, because it can turn around in, yep. in the, at the very end. And uh, people, I, I think some people just give up too soon, and, and they shouldn't. Just never give up yeah. and keep a good attitude because that great attitude will keep you going. Yep. You're out there to have a good time. There's no sense in making it a miserable time because things aren't going according to your plan. Yeah. Just and that's not to say that every one of us haven't had our knife out to cut our bowstring at some time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think having hunting partners that lift you up and say, hey, you know what's tough. We've been, we've all been there. Put the knife away. Yeah. Let's let's go find another elk. That's Quit what it's about. Arrow left. Quit being a baby, Corey. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> take his arrows. Take yes. his broadheads. There's there's tough love for sure. In our Absolutely. <laughs> I think it's funny when I tell people, yeah, I'm going to be taking two weeks off and I'm going on vacation. Where are you going on vacation? Well, I'm going to be packing into the mountains and elk hunting. They're like, you go on vacation and go do that. See, <laughs> most people's mental model is I'm going to go to Cabo or I'm going to go somewhere yeah. warm. You know, but um, you can go lay in a sleeping bag on the ground in 30 degree weather. And exactly. In grizzly country. It's that meme. They say, what do you, you spend a bunch of money to live like a homeless man or whatever. Yeah. Or you, so, yeah, it's uh, it's what we do, though. Right. It's our passion. And I just want to thank you guys for for being on my show. Part of my mission is is, is sending a, a message. Um, it's to hunters, it's to non-hunters, it's anti-hunters, right? It, it's sending a message that what we do is a good thing, right? Um, protecting our public lands is so important right now. Uh, that's a whole other podcast, right? But yeah. a lot of this platform is to just to tell people what we do is good, right? It, it, it is credible. It's things that, um, you know, it's the American way. It's what we were founded on, right? It's think about back to Teddy Roosevelt and the things that he provided us. So your guys' insight helps carry that message uh, for a lot of people, our listeners, and I'm just grateful to be able to have a little bit of your guys' time here at the Expo to sit down with you and talk about elk, talk about stories, just talk about stuff that we're all passionate about. So Absolutely. thank you guys for, for being yeah, on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll catch you guys maybe uh, this summer and the fall. We can catch back up and uh, see how you guys are doing. And Hopefully, uh, we'll have some more stories to share uh, maybe Sounds next great. year at this time or, you know, or if not sooner than that. So we'll definitely have stories. Good. Yeah. <laughs> good and bad. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hopefully good. With that, uh, Corey, Donnie, and Dirk, thanks for being on the RNA Outdoors podcast. Uh, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thank Sounds you. Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks. Good. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Pa, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to Podcasts app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it'll automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or just use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Instagram 
at Rod N Arrow Outdoors, and Facebook, RNA Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, get involved with conservation efforts, and know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, see you guys on the next ridge. <laughs>